Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pirates of the Geek Vortex. Today, we have with us Outlander. Hello again. Those of you familiar with our YouTube page are pretty familiar with this guy. Uh, he's my co-host for the Nerdening. And I do the talky stuff sometimes. Well, getting into it, getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Last week, we had Adam on, and we were talking about, you know, the the golden idol, uh, his golden idol areas of geekdom. And uh, I, I had to have you kind of explain that to me, the, the idea of the golden idol. Is that like the, the, the beach you go to with your thoughts? That is your, your specialty, as it were. Your uh. very, your, your... The one area, as as our other co-host uh, brought up, um, your special area of geekdom, the 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 one that you know about that you can talk about for hours and hours, and you will almost immediately correct somebody when they're wrong when they try and talk about it, and they're just dead wrong. I feel like I've got a few of those because I. Uh... Like so, so what? What? What are my favorites? Uh, obviously, and we, I've, I've said it plenty on the nerding. I'm really into the aliens and the predator, but also Star Trek and Star Wars, and particular, like, probably one of my favorites was actually Babylon Five. But I mentioned that plenty on the show too, um, because Babylon Five wasn't Star Trek. It wasn't Star Wars, and it wasn't that cheesy Battlestar Galactica from the 70s before, you know, before they remade it, you know. Yeah. Um so Babylon 5 was kind of that 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 niche that a lot of people didn't really seem to acknowledge or know was there, but my favorites? I think my favorites are actually kind of the sci-fi noir stuff. Uh that you know? I could see that cuz you're also kind of a, a a big fan of Judge Dredd. Yeah, there's a lot to be explored there, but by sci-fi noir I mean uh stuff that we can see happening in our own universe. So a good example of that that's out there right now is Black Mirror uh, that's on Netflix. Okay. Because all of that takes place like now or within like 10 to 15 years in the future, not very far off. Like, we'll all live to see it. And there's a twist in there that makes us think about where we're going with our technology. It's all technology based sort of thing. So there's not aliens or, or, or anything weird like that. Now, some um, people may say, particularly with the way the, the world has been going in general, Judge Dredd may fit more into that oh than. God. Uh, say a decade ago. Well, at least in our country, we're going that way faster. <laughs> I think. I, I think worldwide, everybody in pretty much every country is feeling that way. Yeah, I mean, pol politics is probably my my favorite sport, and and to that end, I'll say that like China and Saudi Arabia are are leaps and bounds ahead of what we're doing in the United States when it comes to what will happen in the future. They're, they are grabbing onto the future faster than we are in America. But I don't want to dwell on politics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole area that you geek out about. That That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but by, by sci-fi noir, you know, it, it makes it that much more believable. Like, you can really see yourself as any of the characters in this situation. And it's not such a stretch of, of mind. Like, being on the Babylon 5 station, for example... 
that's completely out of all of our realities. Yeah. You know, living amongst a community of different aliens, either in Star Wars or Star Trek or, or something like that. Now, I did see an interesting comparison when somebody was trying to talk about how horrible, you know, life on the Enterprise really would be, even Enterprise D. I saw that article. I just haven't read it yet. Uh, well, they they have a problem differentiating being a character on the actual ship and being a character on the show. So it's mm. like, well, you're more, you know, you're very likely to die because you're not one of the main crew. And it's like, that's only it consists within the show or every week something horrible happens. Again, that's within the show. The The actual time period between each episode could be months. Yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, every ship. every day to you know, there's tons of day to day life. There's tons of just going out and doing science stuff and find and and researching everything that you don't see on the show. But one of the interesting points as far as that goes with what you mentioned is people started coming up that were on navy ships and you know uh, on carriers, battleships, submarines and stuff like that where you don't, you know, you it's the it's that type of it's more the old school style Star Trek cuz you don't have families on these ships. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have str- months months of, you know, month long stretches that where yeah, that is your life is you are on this ship and, you know, and how much is, is like, happening in between attacks, you know. Yeah, and it's 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 yeah, it's that idea that it is relatable to people. Mm. Even without the sci-fi stuff, it is still relatable. Well, I like that about the difference between the original Star Trek and Next Generation was on Next Generation, they had families. You know, that, yeah. was, that was the big kind of thing. It's like this is a capital class ship. And uh, we have whole families on here. They're generally science families. But they were also going so much further beyond where the original the original series was Mm -hmm. because they were actually, I think wasn't that when they were actually leaving the alpha quadrant and explore and exploring beyond that. Cause it was, here's the boundary. Here's as far as we are used to going. So as your boundaries expand, you have to have your families along just to, you know, just because going back to earth or going back to a colony isn't reasonable well, that makes me think of uh the the fan theory about han solo how he's probably actually like 280 years old or something because he's traveled so close to so many black holes and everything so uh you know in the star trek universe uh that you know having the families on the ship makes that much more sense because you'll at least age at the same rate yeah you know whatever whatever the differential is and well but i think both of them get around that by saying that they travel through subspace or hyperspace as they say it in star wars it's, so they're traveling in real time, but yeah, they are traveling technically traveling faster than the speed of light, but it's not within real. It's not within standard space. It's mm-hmm. basically the idea. The idea is is you're traveling at a, a high rate, but relative to everything else, yes, you're traveling at light speed, but you're not doing it in our universe, in our reality. You're creating yeah. a bubble around yourself to. To be able to travel that fast, sort of like a uh, a containment chamber of a yeah, yeah, almost almost like creating a wormhole where you can travel from point A to point B super fast, 
but you're not traveling in real space. You're traveling, you're basically kind of doing a shortcut. On, on, on that, I feel like Babylon 5 did it best because they had hyperspace where it was just this void. Yeah. You know, and you would actually travel four hours or days at a time. You could have an entire armada in hyperspace. And, uh, you know, it would be just beyond the, just beyond the veil for everything happening in our, you know, in, in regular space. And I, I loved how they did that because it seemed to handle that particular issue so well. I like, I like the way they, they cover it in Star Trek because in Star Trek there, you know, you are generating a warp field around the ship. Basically you are creating a bubble around the ship mm -hmm. that takes you out into subspace. And so you're, you're kind of basically creating a, an almost creating, I guess, an alternate universe or an alternate reality within that bubble. If that bubble collapses, you're brought back into real space and... And there you are. Yeah. So it's, I, I kind of like it the way they do it. There's Star Wars... It was kind of... It was all I just speeding through the reality we have. Yeah. I, well, you're still going in... They, they do say that you are going into hyperspace, but it's kind of... Well, they called it hyperspeed. Yeah. I, I don't remember hyperspace. Yeah. It was well, it, it depends on where you look and what, what you... what You know, if you go by the movies, they don't touch a lot of stuff in the movies that mm -hmm. other people have expanded on. Yeah, Star Wars was less about science and more about action. And maybe that's one of the things I appreciated uh, why Aliens and Predator and stuff like that is so fun for me is because of the action aspects of it. You know, it's fun to imagine, you know, you're walking down an alley and suddenly there's an alien or a predator. What do you do? How do you interact with that that universe? And, and what's cool, what's key to, you know, those stories, it, it's, it's those universes interacting with us. You know, and they're not coming from another dimension or anything. They're coming from another part of space. Yeah. But uh, it's completely alien to us. So that makes every, every viewer try to imagine themselves in that situation. And everybody wants to be the hero, so action happens. Uh, everybody wants to save when, the day. When in reality, most of us would crap our pants and die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah likely. Um, I loved this part of the, uh, so after the Aliens movie came out, the second one, with Sigourney Weaver, there's a, a comic book series that I got. It was just the Aliens comic book series. It was actually a continuation of the story. And at some point in the future, they do actually get an, a xenomorph back to Earth. And uh, there are small, there are loose xenomorphs on the planet, and they're always hunting them and everything. But they uh, took a very uh, hive aspect to it. So different hives are competing. They have slightly different pheromones. So there's this one scene where they're actually walking an alien, like a, a, a scent dog, you know, through the city with this giant metal cage over its head and arms pinned against its body and everything. And they've got it on, you know, long poles that they're using to guide it through the street. And they're just kind of using it to follow the scent. I'd like to think that far in the future they could just make an electronic device that would do that, but it it, it worked well for the comic. Uh, it breaks some hobo is getting getting high on the uh, 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 royal jelly in, in a, uh, an alley, and the thing just flips the hell out and rips it to shreds. I think at that point it's the the general scent, yes, but the very specific. You know, if each of them has a slightly different pheromone, you need something that's going to be able to detect the differences mm -hmm. in those pheromones and be able to follow the right one, at which point you would want something from that hive or, or that colony to 
followed that very specific pheromone. And in that way, that so, makes perfect sense. Yeah, if, you know, there's a, there are limitations as to what even in even in sci-fi you can can pull off. At least before it starts, just getting you know you have the magical MacGuffin that does everything and yeah. And and so like I, I read like a, a couple of the aliens and, and predator like novelizations, uh, mostly the comics, but I also read like the Terminator Two novelization, you know, and you get a little more detail in there. Um, but uh, what what we so so I I've got like kind of two groups. I've got the the ones that help me imagine that I can be the hero, and the ones that make me think about the problem, make me think about the issue at hand, make me try to understand the universe. Like John Wick did a really good job of creating a universe, but not spoon feeding it to you. So you have to wonder what's going on. And that's what I like about what I call sci-fi noir. And there are, well, I'm pretty sure plenty of other people call it sci-fi noir, but it, it, like Gattaca, Outer Limits, and The Twilight Zone, they take something that you can relate to so much and then put a slight spin on it that you are trying to work through in your mind how to solve this problem, how to understand what is going on, because that's more real than the action stuff. You know, we, we are always trying to figure out what's going on around us, and that starts with gathering information. And when there's a lack of information, but things are still happening according to those rules, then that's more enticing, that's more exciting, and that gets those neurons firing in your head. Yeah, and uh, well, we've we've talked about it before on the nerdning as far as you know how there are you know little things. Well, like with with the predator and why they use heat vision. Like there's two parts of the id that that's appealing to. Yeah, or one appeals to the id and the other appeals to the ego. Um, now there is now, now now you talk about the novelizations and comic books and stuff like that. That that brings up another one that I know for a fact is is kind of within your 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 geek wheelhouse. And that is uh, Jurassic Park series. Oh hell yeah! And the <laughs> the, the the comic books that they did. And I, I the comic I, books were kind of ridiculous, but it was fun to read when I was fourteen. You know, I never, I didn't really get into them, but I do remember one that piqued my interest, which was uh, that basically this hippie went to one of the the islands, and there was this like universal um, universal sign language for peace. That he gave that that he that he he used when he was confronted with a raptor, and the raptor just kind of steps back and copies it, and is just like, okay, I have that one. I have that one. So it's like, okay, so you're that was returned to Jurassic Park, probably uh, number uh, eight, I think. Return to Jurassic Park number eight. I'll have to look it up. I'll have to go through the box and and see. But yeah, I think that it was it was definitely the Return to Jurassic Park series. And and that was that like was an Gideon. interesting yeah yeah that was an interesting idea for me because it was like okay so they're 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 really taking it from what you see in the movies where these are basically the bad guys these are the the horrifying terrifying monsters and they're they actually you know there is possible communication and stuff like that and it's like they touched on that a little bit with Jurassic Park 3 but not really you know that was using the more animal communication uh, uh like trying to use their own their own tones their own kind of uh, uh, the, the way they make sounds yeah. to communicate the way they communicate not the way 
not with a universal language that they learned that we also happen to use, like sign language, you know? Um, yeah, and it's and I've always wondered with that with the 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 with Jurassic Park three. It's like okay, so you're blowing through this and you're making a sound, but you really don't know. You know, you you don't know what that sound means. You could be calling. You you could be basically telling this raptor that's right in front of you that his mother's a bitch. <laughs> and, a pox upon your house. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, um, you know, he, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how they speak. Uh, uh, you have a general idea from having studied bird calls and stuff like that, but bird calls are different. Yeah, and most of the stuff that you that that any of the characters have heard are sounds that they make when they're hunting, mm-hmm. basically saying, "Hey, here it is. Here's 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 what we're hunting. It's right there. You don't want to make that sound." Yeah, the end of Jurassic Park Three was kind of a joke for that because we we've played you know by this point in the series we've played the Velociraptors up to be so intelligent that that you're you're standing right in front of them with their own eggs. You are smelling like a human, not a Velociraptor. You are looking like a human, not a Velociraptor, and you're making a sound badly. That is going to convince them that oh hey they're cool, we'll just take the eggs and go. Yeah, uh, that was that was that was kind of a MacGuffin. Now it could be it could be argued that the the you know they didn't just charge in and attack because they had the eggs and it was like okay but again it's kind of you know you look at Jurassic Park the, this is something that Jurassic Park two did better than Jurassic Park three because mm. they did the same thing with the uh basically the, baby, the same the, thing with the T-Rex. Yeah, they the took baby the baby Rex. T-Rex and they gave it back and it's like okay, fine. We're we're okay up until the point where the baby's out of the way and then we're tr- we're we're going to make sure you don't do this again. Yeah, yeah, you're lunch now. Thank you for our baby back. You're done. And that that makes sense as far as the animal world. If you you know, you we caught you trying to steal our eggs. You gave them back. The human the human idea is we we for we forgive and forget. Animals don't forget. They make sure that this isn't going to happen again. You are a threat to their eggs. Yeah. Or their young. Uh, so they they will remember you. They will hunt you down. They will stomp on you. So in Jurassic World, Owen uses a clicker to uh, uh, help train the raptors. And I heard from dog trainers and uh, other animal trainers in general, that might not work for velociraptors. You know, it probably shouldn't work for Velociraptors, but there has, you know, if you're trying to train a Velociraptor, they're smart enough. We've, we've determined that throughout the series, at least in this universe. And, uh, you know, if, if we're willing to accept that Velociraptors are actually the size of the Utah Raptor, then we have to assume that they're going to be intelligent like they've been presented to. So there are certain things about Velociraptors we give up just to enjoy the movie. Yeah. Um, if they're smart enough. You know, there, there were a lot of people saying that, oh, the clicker wouldn't work. You know, they just don't think that way or they don't work that way. And I'm like, well, in this universe, sure, they can. Well, it's it's all about, honestly, it's all about conditioning. I, we like to think that we are smart and intelligent enough not to be conditioned. But, you know, being here in the Midwest, you hear, you know, you hear a siren and it's not the first Tuesday of the month. You head to a, a basement or an enclosed yeah. area with no windows, something like that, because that is conditioned that when that siren goes off, if it isn't the first Tuesday and that's their test day, that means there's a tornado. 
That means actually you take a tornado. Cover. <laughs> this is just a test. I mean, if there had been an actual emergency, dot dot dot. <laughs> um, uh, police sirens, sirens on police cars, ambulances, fire trucks. You know, there we are conditioned to think there's a problem. You know, when you hear something like that, there's a problem somewhere. Yeah, police nearby. sirens are are slightly different than than firemen siren si- fire sirens, and fire sirens are slightly different than ambulance sirens. Yeah, but you it's know. we are conditioned with audio with some form of audio input to react a specific way when we hear those sirens. You'd be surprised, by the way, the number of times emergent EMS vehicles have gone by and people didn't know to pull their car out of the way around that's, here. That's, that, that ticks yeah. me off, but that's a whole other thing. As intelligent as we are, we, are condi- we get conditioned to certain sounds. Uh, we do that with children, with the, the, you know, when we say no or... That stops them. That they know to stop. That is a an audio conditioning. So how is how can we say that raptors are so smart that if raptors are are intelligent to a certain point, it's not going to work when it works with us? Yeah, yeah. No, a really good example of that is actually a part of a human psychology. If uh, say you have a, a baby, a young baby, and uh, they're raised by an English, you know, they're they're birth to English speaking parents and then they're around another foreign language speaker like like you know, Latin or French or something like that they cry because they know they're not with their tribe right you know, that that is imbued in them as a young baby well even that that's that's conditioning a parent hearing a baby a, a small human crying, Automatically wants yeah, to help there, there that is, child. Yeah, you are condi- we are conditioned that when we hear that, we know that something with that child is wrong. That child needs attention of some sort. We are conditioned to go and check out what's going on. Uh, and I think, I've only seen the trailers, but I think that they're uh, uh, playing with that a little bit in the war for the Planet of the Apes that's coming out soon. Okay. I have not been keeping up with those since the... I haven't seen the, any of the new... Oh, I saw the... Uh, well, no. After the Tim Burton one, I kind of lost all interest. I haven't seen the new ones. So. I saw the one, the, 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 the reboot to... The reboot after Tim Burton's reboot. I saw that one, but I haven't really kept up on them after that. And it's... I, th- I You know, it almost feels like this is... I appreciate what they're trying to do and how they're they're creating the world, but as far as the the whole Planet of the Apes thing, it's like you we're supposed to see the end result before the build up. That's how the original went. That's how the original went, and maybe I, I don't know. And again, I haven't seen these, so maybe they they started they wanted to do this as kind of the prequels to the originals. But uh, we already have those. Well, well, we already have those. I don't know. Is we had Planet of the Apes beneath the Planet of the Apes. Then there, then uh, Cornelius and his wife went back in time to basically what was you know was a slightly futuristic Earth, and they had a child who was called Caesar, who grew up and something killed off the the something killed off the all the the cats and dogs. So all of a sudden, apes were pets. They were work. They were labor force, and they started unifying under Caesar, and that, and then rebelled, and that created the planet, the 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 uh, so conquest this, of the 
Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So this is this is a reboot then, because, you know, and and you know we've talked about reboots on the nerding, and uh, when you when you reboot something, you can kind of you can change some of the rules. Yeah, I think that's what they've done here. But really, I think I should need to watch those movies before I yeah, say too it's, much more. It's just I think it's part of the part of the the beauty of the original series was you saw the end result was a planet ruled by apes where mankind was unable to speak. They were animalistic. They were the, the they were the animals of the world. Yeah, it was so far in the future that man had lost his language, which is maybe a side effect of the uh, uh, disease that killed all the cats and dogs. Well, n- no, it was a result of basically having their civil they human civilization was replaced by ape civilization. Mm-hmm. We were no longer the dominant species. I remember loving those movies. So we kind too. of we we basically we they say they're saying humans regress, but it was the idea that you know the end result. Then something from that future comes back and alters it to the point where, you know, at later on after apes have evolved and learned to speak and stuff like that, there are humans and apes living side by side. Mm. And it looks like we, you know, it looks like basically it could go off to the original Planet of the Apes ending uh, where, you know, apes and man go to war and man loses but it was the idea that we know where the end result is but does some you know does something coming from that end result change where that where the the stories end it wasn't just a oh well here's 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 the end result we're gonna go back to the beginning and tell you the full story now and I think that's one of the reasons why so a lot of people are kind of iffy about the new ones is because they are changing that. They are taking that that a, a definitive formula and just altering it. Mm. And a lot of people don't like that. Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, so I talk about film or sci-fi noir. Uh, what kind of examples do you think of there? For sci-fi noir, the sort of we could really be there, but something is different. Um, I think Doctor Who does it a lot. I think there's a. I think you can. I, I think you could make an argument that honestly, sci-fi noir is could be any type of sci-fi. Well, like hard sci-fi. Because um, hard, I mean, hard sci-fi is like Interstellar to me. Um, but the the idea that. Any time, the the only time you would get away from something like what you're describing is to take humans out of the equation. We could get to anything. We could get to the you know the the overcrowded, slightly dystopian Blade Runner future. That's very and actually that's that's where I got that's where I got that term. Blade Runner was the first you know, somebody was describing or I was reading an article. And they described it as sci-fi noir, and it definitely. And is. I think what they're what they're talking there is more you you have it's you have the old school detective, you have the old school film noir style set in the future, and that's where they they that's mm. what they mean when they say sci-fi noir. You have the dark detective story, but it's set in a futuristic sci-fi setting. Therefore, it is still film noir style, but in the future and in and, and sci-fi. Well, they even had uh, uh, one, you know, a, a noir version of the Matrix and the Animatrix, the black and white one 
where uh, uh, he's, he's the old detective and he's trying to find Trinity and and get out of the Matrix and everything. But it was almost like he was living in a different version of the Matrix than what we see in the actual movies. So his was the 1940s version compared to the present day that we saw. Okay. Well, that is all the time we have for today. We covered quite a bit there, I <laughs> yeah. think. And there's still so much more to cover. So that's that's one of the reasons why we wanted to start the podcast, because we can cover so much stuff. And particularly with, with multiple people, there's so many different opinions and stuff like that to, to really get into. Well, and, and that's the magic of, of fantasy and sci-fi and, and everything else is that, you know, we get to take all of these little aspects and explore them in different ways. And uh, that's, that's what writers do. That's what thinkers do. And that's probably why I'm way happier to be a nerd than a jock, you know? <laughs> As always... Thank you guys very much for listening, and uh, we will be back next week uh, with another episode. If you like the podcast so far, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, this should be up on iTunes before too terribly long, and uh, stay tuned for more. We'll see you next time.